Gobble gobble, everyone. Happy Thanksgiving. Special Thanksgiving edition of Let'sRun.com Track Talk. Post NCAA edition. Huge upset in the NCAA ranks. No, not Stephen F. Austin over Duke, but BYU over NAU. We'll break down all the NCAA action, NCAA teams of the decade, plus a lot more. Elliot Kipchoge, controversial athlete of the year. New England Patriots have cheated themselves to another victory. Alberto Salazar has a defender in Jordan Hesse. Can you guys name two of the 10 coldest cities in the world? Rojo shares his shoe buying experience. But first, let me welcome the crew. It's my final Let's Run.com track talk coming to you live from New York City. Robert, Jonathan, welcome. Yeah, good to be here. Uh, I don't know if, well, I don't think I deserve a round of applause, but maybe Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots for taking down your Dallas Cowboys. But also, you know, let's give an applause Four champions from Terre Haute, BYU men, Arkansas women, Edwin Kerger on the men's side, Wayne Kaladi on the women's side. We'll talk a lot about a lot of that. Robert and I were there to see it. It was a great weekend, even though the day in Terre Haute itself was very rainy and miserable. Had a lot of fun out there. Wait, wait, wait. John, you seem to be gloating a little bit about the Patriots. I think you should be apologizing and be thankful that you're even allowed to be on this podcast. And no one has praised me. It was a great weekend for yours truly. Seventh place. Overall, in the Let's Run.com Running Warehouse Prediction Contest, 7th out of 100, my expertise and knowledge revealed yet again. Jonathan Galt, though, folks, is lucky to have a job still at Let's Run.com. It's, it's been pointed out that he did not even have BYU on his podium in the preview. I had to take to the to, to the website after NCAs to defend him, to point out that he did have four of the top five women's teams in his preseason rankings, while the coaches poll only had two of the five. John, I, I prevented you, the internet mob, from going after you. So the Patriots may have won, but hey, the Cowboys covered the spread, and I bet the Cowboys at plus six. So thank you, Jason Garrett, for kicking that idiotic field goal, because I won 50 bucks. Well, Rojo, my internet guardian, what would I do without you? So first of all, I'm going to say, I think I deserve some of the credit for you getting seventh in the prediction contest, because you've admitted multiple times that you just learn about NCAA cross country by reading my previews. So I'm essentially the source. I incepted that pick into your mind and BYU, my rationale. Yes. I left them off the podium, a horrible pick in retrospect. My rationale essentially was, look, they've been on the podium in the last few years. They probably should be on the podium this year, but some team always underperforms and some team this usually a surprise team in fourth. So I was like, I thought it'd be fun to pick Tulsa, and someone had to get bumped off. I thought BYU was the most likely candidate. Clearly, that was wrong. Congrats to BYU men, but that, that's my reasoning. I don't want to hear this, John. Well, John tried to of all of all people, a New England Patriots fan tried to accuse me of cheating in the prediction contest. This, you know, John, no. Yes, I do read your previews, and that helps me. That doesn't mean that I'm capable, not capable of doing it myself. I am really the brains and the genius, the origin of the idea. It's like... I am like Sergey Sergey Brin or Larry Page at Google. They could program. They're smart enough to do it if they wanted to, but they don't need to anymore. They hire their underlings to, to stay up all night while they are on their yachts. Robert, you know, I, you're right. I didn't give you enough credit because, yes, you use my preview to make your picks, but then after reading my preview, you then just look at the master key and see what all the other people on Let's Run are picking and use that to make your final picks. So it's, you know, you take a second step of laziness, uh, but... I, I'll give you credit. I forgot to mention that. 
Okay, I'll admit I knew very little about after like the top few names. So I went to what I did the night before the race. I went to see what the Let's Run Nation was picking and basically used that for my picks 100%. Except I had a few strong things that I went against. Like there's a few people I didn't like, a few teams I didn't like. I was very, uh, they had Alicia Monson. Let's Run had her slightly over Kaladi. I'm like, no way. Kaladi's going to crush this race. I knew she was going to win it. And that was the key to my success. So modest, as always. Well, how did you do? Did you even enter the prediction contest, Weldon? I didn't see your scores up there. Yes, of course I entered the running warehouse prediction contest, guys. You guys got to, you know, plug the sponsors. I did all right. I probably beat you, John, because I did better picking the teams than you did. Yeah, I didn't do great. I was in the top 10%. Next week, we will be talking to Jason L., Seabiscuit, and Biro Runs. Those are our three winners in the prediction contest. They all get the Skechers Go Run Hyper Shoes, official shoe of Edward Cheserick. And those are coming from Running Warehouse. I, I, I did all right in the contest. We need to come up with a new format, for, I think, for the cross-country contests. I agree. Too many negative points. It's, kind of, it's just too complicated. It needs to be simplified. And so also, I think for the marathon trials, we need to come up with a thing. I think maybe you just pick the top five. Whoever picks the most wins, and then you pick the winning time. Cross-country, obviously, you're not going to pick winning time, so somehow for cross-country, we need some sort of tiebreaker. But if you got ideas for the marathon trials or improving the NCAA cross-country prediction contest, let us know. But guys, my time is limited on this show. I'm sitting in an apartment in New York with furniture and boxes. I thought I was moving to the suburbs on Monday. Hopefully that's still happening, but I, I got some issues with, with the move i got i gotta sort out so i'm gonna leave this show in your hands maybe i'll be back later i want to hear some of robert's hot takes on some of the non-running threads today so i'm, I'm leaving it in good hands also m- maybe you guys can discuss your five favorite things in new york maybe i'll have to do that next week but i, I wanted to discuss that in this week's podcast i don't think john and i will be doing that praising new york while you're living out of the city yeah i think i'd probably get a lynch mob at my at my door if I start praising New York and I live in, you know, Boston here. All right, Robert, give me your best hot take coming out of NCAAs. Hmm. My best hot take, John, really putting me on the spot. Thanks for the heads up, like in the show notes or something like that. Um, how about the fact that it was shocking, right? That NAU lost people just assumed they were going to win four in a row, but really should we be that shocked? Was it that big of an upset? Do you remember, John, we were sharing a room in Terre Haute, and I sort of stayed up the night before trying to do my prediction contest, trying to get knowledgeable. But as a former college coach, John, once I do my research, the genius ideas come to you. When I woke up, do you remember what I asked you? You asked me how many of NAU's top seven had run at NCAAs before. Correct. And the answer was only three of them, and that made me very nervous. Not that I ever had a team at NCAAs, but... Um, I had a lot of individuals and just NCAs is a different beast. It's not the same thing as Nutty Comb. It's not the same thing as pre-Nats. There's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of people. You go out, everyone's battling for possession. Everybody wants to be top 40. And that made me very nervous. And I've just put up a piece <clears throat> late last night in the week that was where I compared the BYU and the NAU runners. I, I ordered them. I-, I ranked them in order of like their track PRs and sort of their cross-country accomplishments, just one through five. And if you match up one versus one, two versus two, three versus three, four versus four, five versus five. Now, I only use the five scores because there was like, a, 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 I think, a talented NAU guy in sixth or seventh who had been All-American in the past that didn't do it this year. But um, the five scores, I, I'm not sure that NAU had an advantage at any spot. 
you know, number one, I gave a slight edge to, to Connor Mance because he was 10th last year. I thought that was better than, than uh, Beamish. He was run 1331. Um, I thought number two, they were even. I gave a slight edge for BYU at number three, definitely beat edge to number four at BYU and even for number five. So, you know, looking at that in terms of their credential, not how they run this year, just but their overall thing, you know, is it that shocking of an upset considering that NAU was so ex- inexperienced at the meet? Although the inexperienced guys in NAU were the ones that ran well, John, which was interesting. Plus, factor in, John, if you want the hot take, here's the real hot take. Is it fair that BYU has an eighth-year senior on that team? They had an eighth-year senior, a seventh-year senior, and a sixth-year senior. On the team. That's not a hot take. That was all over the message boards after the meet. I mean, look, is it fair? Well, it's it's legal. It's under the rules. It is kind of insane. I'll say that. Daniel Carney, the number two guy, 17th overall. So here's how those eight years break down. He had two years of admission, one-year red shirt. He got injured, so he got a medical redshirt, and then he had four years of eligibility. But though it is kind of crazy, he's twenty six years old, and he's you know an eighth year out of college, out of high school, and he's still running this meet. But look, it's it's part, within the rules. And one of the things is, whenever any team wins, people love to complain about stuff. If NAU wins, they would have said, "Oh, they have international guys." You know, uh, when other schools win, oh, they have transfers. You know. If you look at the construction of any NCAA championship team, very, very few of them do it without some sort of, I wouldn't call this an advantage or a trick. It's just one of the ways to improve your team. There's you, some te- you usually get a transfer or an international student or sometimes guys who are older. It's just hard to build a big team without a good team without that stuff. Correct. And when Stanford wins, well, I guess they never win, but when they used to win, people used to complain. Not only do they have athletic scholarships, they also have the need-based financial aid. And if you really are like when I was in the college coaching ranks, what people don't understand is like every school has its advantage. Like the whole thing is you're trying to divide like 12 scholarships on the men's side for a whole team of track and field. So other people say, oh, they're an all distance squad or some of these track schools like Arkansas has huge scholarships. It's pretty easy to get a scholarship for another reason. Florida State, I think it was, used to have some random scholarship for certain people from Canada. Because some guy donated a bunch of man- Canadian alum or something, so there's all these like nuances that get you, you know, <laughs> talent on the team. You don't win without talent. So that was my hot take. But I really want to get a shout out to, to Ed Eystone's BYU team because their women were incredible. They were second. They were very close to winning. Well, he doesn't coach the women. Let's give credit to Diljeet Taylor. She's the head coach of the women. She's really turned that program around. Yeah, was well, he the director overall? Of, sorry, sorry, Digit. But and then. Um, Every one of the top five for BYU ran well. Speaking of Taylor, John, I, I I didn't get to see her. I didn't see her, you know. I mean, they didn't invite Istone to the pre-meet press conference, right? And they didn't invite Taylor. So either, neither one of the BYU coaches was there. But can I ask you about – I saw her after the race or your video, but I didn't ask you about this. She was wearing sunglasses on a day when it was pouring down rain. What was up with that? <laughs> I didn't get the scoop on it, and it's actually funny. Someone pointed that out on the message board. They were like, why is she wearing sunglasses? And I'm like – you know, I didn't think of it at the time, but so look, the rule is sunglasses almost always make you look cooler, and I think they definitely did, but I don't know. It, that was not a day for sunglasses. Now, Weldon, you have a hot take or something you're itching to share? Let's go. He's back. I'm back. I hear parts of this. I want you guys, what would the let's run criticism be of the Colorado teams that win? They're, they're at altitude. They get an advantage from training at altitude. It's not fair. Thank you. Okay. I figured there had to be one, but I wasn't sure what it was. But that's that's like the most pure, I guess, wins for, I think, some of the let's run people. But 
I think there are no bonus points for not having foreigners, for not whatever, having people. I think they just reward the trophy to the team that has the lowest points at the meet, but that may change. Maybe we'll get like, you know, you'll have like a diversity score, or in this case, I think people in Let's Run want a non-diversity score. So no red shirt, no foreigners. It's funny though, we're four guys from the, we're three guys from the Ivy League. The Ivy League is sort of like, that's, if you want like, purity i guess quote unquote is most of those guys they only in college for four years i guess there are some brits and international people who come over and run but very few transfers that's like but that's not the ncaa that's you know the ncaa is you have all these rules you have to follow these teams are following the rules i don't think people are accusing byu of breaking any rules they got it done on the day congrats to them wait wait, wait. as a former cornell coach I, i can't believe you think the ivy league is fair that's absurd Stanford, Princeton, and Harvard now are, are full, chock full of foreigners, and Cornell doesn't even really even have foreign financial aid for the athletes. Neither Brown doesn't, certainly. Uh, I guess things have things have changed since my day, though. I do remember, like Princeton, one year they had this guy like Ben Sittler, and I think he was he was abroad for like the entire full time in London or something, and then he came back and got second at Heps, and I don't really know how that worked, but I also forgot, guys. We forgot Weldon forgot it in the pre-show notes. I'm going to get it out there. One of the big things we will be talking about in the show is, did Jonathan Galt find love in Terre Haute? He's got a big fan. So we may mention that. But, guys, before we get any farther, you need to support the sponsors. Go to the letsrun.com slash shoe site. As we talked about, I bought some shoes. Now, I did not buy them on the letsrun.com shoe site. I decided to support the local running store. We'll talk about my experience buying it later. But I bought a really highly paired highly rated pair of shoes, and I will be reviewing them myself on the shoe site. So stay tuned, guys, because I know you tuned in to hear Rojo's comments on shoe shopping. But everybody, don't do like Robert. Buy your shoes online. Put that local retailer out of business. I'm just kidding. I know that I I remember talking to one shoe rep from one company, and he said, yeah, I want to advertise and let's run because I know like the guy putting the shoes in everyone's feet, that's like the hardcore let's run viewer they have so much influence like the person who actually puts the shoe on the foot so support your local retailer but if not for sure buy your shoes off let's run actually guys let's just do the shoe buying experience now real quick don't want to drag it out i know we don't want to have people fast forward so first of all guess what brand of shoes i am wearing right now if you think about this if you think about this realistically there's probably only two brands that i would possibly be wearing right now what do you think they are under armor is one of them Hoka. Yeah, and probably Hoka's the other. I'm going to vote Under Armour. Smart man, smart man. I love to support Under Armour to keep the city of Baltimore from burning to the ground. They employ a lot of people here. I've been I've been wearing like a, I think it's called an Under Armour like Sonic or something. Sort of internet connected shoe. What? But I, went to, I went to the local Falls Road running store. Anyways, I told him that I wanted to wear one of two brands, Under Armour or Hoka. Hoka supported Let'sRun.com. Thank you very much. And then it was kind of interesting. I said, you know, I, I, he's like, what are you looking for? What type of shoe? And I'm like, well, you know, um, I really would like like a, a black shoe that, that looks good in my jeans. And then he, he starts looking at my arts and talking about my arts or something. And I need a stability shoe. I'm like, I've never worn a stability shoe. I'm like, you know, I, no, I really kind of like these dark ones. Does this come in dark? He's like, well, they come in different colors, not just the ones on the wall. He's like, well, wait a minute. Is this a fashion shoe? Are you actually ever going to run in it? So I didn't have the you know guts to tell him that I used to run a lot. I guess it doesn't matter, though. Am I actually going to run in it? Yes, barely. 
Weldon, are we stripping Robert's runner license right now? He's they, He went to a running store to buy a pair of running shoes, and his request was, I need a black pair that makes me look good in jeans. I can't believe this. <laughs> what happened to your request for breaking five hours in the New York City Marathon, Robert? Speaking of breaking five, I spoke to Chris Lear, author of Running with the Buffaloes. He's back running again healthy. He has some tips for Robert to get healthy. Chris is convinced he can break a five-minute mile. Someone in Let's Run should devise a plan. Like We should have like a challenge in 2019. It's like me versus Robert versus Chris Lear versus some high school guy. And I guess we could have a high school girl, too, have never broken five and like who gets to it first and <laughs> what they win. No, I think we need a race, like Boston Marathon or NYC Marathon Weekend. We need to get you guys all together on a track and have it out. I'll, I'll sign up to rabbit it. I can hit a sub five mile. What about a special division of the Fifth Avenue Mile where they just let us race? I can't race in that, but that would be embarrassing. They do have a media mile, Robert. John, the other thing that's embarrassing about these shoes is I came home with it. My wife said, you should have just gotten the gray. That would look better. So I, I didn't pick out well. But anyways, I, I am – Chris has helped me. He, he and I both have huge calf problems. He's going to see an acupuncturist. He's told me who to go to see to. And also try to some, do some full body sort of fitness class first before I get back into running. But it's the Hoka Bondi 6. Probably the most expensive pair of running shoes I've ever purchased. But I've, I'm rock. I said he said they'd be good for my calf because I got this huge rocker. I feel like I'm almost in the vapor flies. I'm so high up. Very cushioned shoe. Most cushioned shoe on the market and an 8.8 rating on the ledge run that comes to shoe site. So thank you, Hoka. Under Armour, next time I'll get you. The guy kind of was trashing the Under Armour shoes. I love my Under Armour shoes. Very comfortable. But he said, oh, you need more support than that. So anyways, Under Armour, when we start our Bowerman Track Club, Baltimore version, I'm here for you. Maybe wait a year or two until my son's a little bit older, then we can rock. Well, did you guys see there are some video, um, some pictures on social media starting to leak out of the Alpha Flies? I think these things, it, it's actually pretty interesting. I think these things are going to be on the market by the uh, the time of the Olympic trials in February. Or if I was Nike, I would at least be giving them to the Nike sponsored athletes. And you know, I saw this this picture online, and then one of the people who commented on it was Molly Huddle, who will be running in the Olympic trials for Saucony. I thought her comment was really interesting. She said, kind of nervous as to how this would affect the Olympic trials over here at USATF. It was just a picture of the, you know, Frankenstein alpha flies that are just, you know, essentially platform shoes. So this is the shoe Kipchoge wore. Yeah. The one that Kipchoge wore for uh, the Ineos 159 challenge. But look, some of these athletes, they're worried about it. You know, I think it, it's not an overblown issue that we just talk about on this podcast every week. Like something that the top athletes in the sport are also following. Speaking of shoes, actually, I'm going to have an article out at some point over Thanksgiving holidays. I might publish it today. It's looking at the most popular shoes on Let's Run. And of like the top 10 shoes, four of this is just the most reviewed shoes. For, it shows like hardcore runners. They just, they run in like the very durable shoe. There's only four different lines of shoes that make up the top 10 nike pegasus hoka one oni clifton the brooks ghost sakati canvaras like all of those had multiple shoes in the top 10 shit shows like with all of the marketing whatever the pretty serious runner loves a shoe they love a basic neutral shoe that's sort of th- that shoe for every line so robert maybe you got the wrong ho- hoka shoe yeah what are you talking about one well, the most important shoe is whether they're black and look good with jeans that's the biggest criteria John, when we were in Toho, I, I saw a picture, I think, on Twitter. I, I can't find it, but I think it was the Asics shoe, right? 
their copy of the Vaporfly. Remember I showed you that? It was huge. It's coming out on the market. It looks just like the Vaporfly. I think it was Asics. If, 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 I thought or Sock. No, I'm certain it was Asics. Someone had it on Twitter. That crazy, uh, crazy Daisy. Oh wait, here it is, folks. From Crazy Daisy on Twitter, Crazy underscore Daisy, C R A Z I E underscore D A I Z E E. I'm actually wrong. It's not Asics. The Saucony Endorphin Speed. It's a hundred and sixty dollars shoe. Made with plate from TPU Endorphin Pro. There's also an Endorphin Pro, which is $200. And this person is begging Molly to put them on for Atlanta 2020. This shoe to me looks very similar. It doesn't look quite like, I mean, it's not, it looks like kind of the old Vaporfly. So again, yeah, but well, you know, if, let's say the, the, the Vaporfly or these copycats are 4% and the Vaporfly is 6%, it's kind of absurd. You know, it's, it's, just, it's not fair. This is mechanical doping. I, I can't say this over and over. They need to get this rules out now. IAAF, what are you doing? Yeah, what did we have this discussion about whether the 15K world record is the greatest world record ever? Then we're also that the marathon world record is the greatest world marathon record ever. And let's just take a big step back. The shoes are very different. Why are we even having these conversations? Are we just going to assume that the two greatest records ever happened within about three weeks of each other? Or is it the assumption that a radically different shoe that's making the playing field very different from what it was in the past and arguably unfair is out there? Something clearly needs to be done. Um, or if not, just say nothing's going to be done, anything goes. But the the lack of rules in the past and the fact that they let an unfair advantage occur at the 2016 Olympics. Uh, wait, wait, I need to find a beer. This is a new drinking game I'm playing. Anytime we bring up the 2016 Olympics and vapor flies, I need to take a beer because uh, that's our, you know, that's just a topic of the week that we hit our quota. So I got to go take a drink now. But the point is valid, right? Like, let's say somebody invented a new technology tomorrow or in June of this year. Uh, some new radical shoe technology does not release it to the public and lets their athletes wear it in Tokyo. John, would you think that's fair or right or just or should be allowed? No, I think that's a problem. And right. yeah, World Athletics needs to get on top of that. They, they know this happened in Rio and they know that Nike is releasing this Vaporfly, sorry, the Alphafly or whatever, probably by the Olympics next year and probably before. They need to rule. They need to say, Look, this is fine. The shoes on the market, but what I don't think we want, and what anyone wants, is some super new unreleased prototype given only to the best Nike athletes in Tokyo, and that ends up determining, you know, the medals. But even if they drop the shoe two months before, I mean, like, where do you draw the line? They're always going to keep pushing the line, and at this point now, the technology is ahead of the testers. So I think someone's one shoe brand is going to have an unfair advantage over the others. In the past, that wasn't the case, I would argue. I mean, maybe if you want to go back, you could argue the Adidas Boost shoes were a half a percent better or something. But we're just in an unfortunate situation. We have to keep talking about this every week. Yeah, well, we've, ha we've had this debate every week, so let's not rehash it right now. And anyway, the Harvard men disproved this. I mean, the Harvard men, without the vapor flow, this is actually hilarious. So... The Northeast Regional, Harvard wins in an upset. They wear they all wear the vapor flies during the race. They're at the banquet on Thursday night. There's always a pre-race banquet for all the teams and coaches and individuals are invited. The Harvard men show up wearing these black sweatshirts with crimson H's on the front. And then on their feet, all of them are wearing vapor flies. And I just found it really funny. They totally owned it because a lot of people criticized them. Oh, they only made the meat because they had these vapor flies. 
and they have one of them with the green shoes and then everyone else was wearing the pink and they did some sort of, they did a they posed in a pacing formation for pictures i thought it was really funny then they go out they get 15th at ncaa's it's the program's best finish for over 50 years and you know totally they surpassed their ranking i think they came in ranked 23rd and they finished 15th so i robert's got a disgusted look on his face because he's going to probably point out the other teams that qualified and vapor flies did not do as well but i think we got to give credit to harvard how do the harvard women do Dead last. How did the Cornell women do? Second, third to last. How did the, uh, I think it was Syracuse men did. They were like third or fourth to last. Like, not, you know, this is the problem this year. You can't prove, take anything from one thing. Yes, Harvard ran well. Yes, Alex Gibby's a good coach. But Harvard had been underachieving for most of the season. Now, 15th, no one expected that. That was a great run. But they've got some super talented kids on there. But, you know, whatever. John won't let me talk about – he thinks it's a joke and a hot take that the 2016 Olympic marathons be validated. I, it's not a joke. I need, I need another beer. This is bigger than doping. This is bigger than doping. You know, we were talking to a lot of coaches, John, out there. Do you think Salazar and Rupp are actually on EPO, the hardcore drugs? And people were like, no, I think there's inner circles. I think they're on stuff that other people aren't on. But I don't think they're on EPO and, and stuff like this. So I think these shoes – would definitely be as much, if not more, than like a little androgel on and a massage the night before the race. All right, wait, wait, hold on. I just want to unpack what you just said. You said it's bigger than doping. So you think, you're arguing, that it's more unfair that Elliot Kipchoge won the gold medal in the men's race than the dopers, Jemima Sumgon and Eunice Kurwa, went 1-2 on the women's side while doping. No, I think that it has a bigger impact than some of this minor doping that people get busted for. They weren't busted for minor doping, though. Was- I, I I didn't talk about. I'm talking about like uh, Jerry and Lawson being di- busted for minor doping. Right. You said you said the shoes were a bigger deal than doping. That's what you said, Robert. You didn't yes. differentiate. It, 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 it's a bigger deal than like Jerry and Lawson's testing positive and being banned for the sport for four years for for taking eating contaminated beef or having some minuscule amount of steroid in there. It's a much bigger deal. Do I think he would have won the Olympics without them? Yes, and the only thing that I like is that the second and third place runners were wearing the same shoes and he still kicked their ass. But I, do I think Rupp would have a medal without those shoes? I'm not convinced of it. No. So anyways, let's talk about the cross-country race. We don't need to be talking about Harvard in 15th or John getting mad about this mechanical doping. Let's talk about the big names. We've talked about the BYU's coach's sunglasses. Let's talk about actually some of the top stuff there. You know, we talked about BYU over at NAU. What we haven't really talked about is the Arkansas women completing the Triple Crown Winning Lance Harder's first Division One cross-country championship. They've narrowly held on. This is a team that had repeatedly come up short in nationals the last seven straight years. They finished lower than the ranking. John, do you think – were they close to choking it away, John, since the score was so close? Or do they deserve all the craze because all that matters is they did win? No, because you could say they're close to choking, but I don't think that's fair because – BYU scored 102 points. No team, the run, that's the lowest score by a runner-up in the women's race since 1997. I mean, if if they if Arkansas scored 105 and BYU scored 102 and Arkansas loses, that's not a choke. That's just, you ran great and another team ran even better. So I think you've got to say the reverse. BYU, congrats. That score will win a lot of years. It wasn't enough this year because Arkansas got it done. And I think the one thing we have to give praise to Arkansas for or it needs to be mentioned in the discussion of Arkansas. Previous years, these teams were came into rational, nationals ranked highly, but I think the ratings sometimes may have been inflated because they were beating up on the SEC and the South Central region, which just aren't that strong. Yes, they underperformed in NCAAs. They still had talent in those teams. But 
They might have been a tad overrated coming in. This Arkansas team was not overrated. They rolled through everyone in the whole season. They went uh, Wisconsin Invitational. Sorry, the Nutty Comb Invitational. They won that pretty handily. They came in ranked to deserve number one. They lived up to their ranking. This is the best Arkansas women's team, you know, uh, for a long time. Because there were some teams in the 90s that were pretty good, I think, with with Dina Castor. But, yeah, th- this Arkansas team was the best of this generation, and they, they ran like it all season. I mean, John, you've made a lot of references to me recently about them being overrated because of the South region. I mean, some of those rankings are based on their pre-NATS performances or their nutty cone performances. And maybe a slight issue, but when you do it seven years in a row, there's no doubt that they had been underperforming at that meet. And they did, most definitely did not do it this year. You know, they, they ran, you know, very well and, and deserved the title. And then Wayne Collada, I mean, it was pretty much 50-50. Kaladi, sorry, Robert continuing his tradition of mispronouncing women's athletes' names, but Wayne Kaladi. Oh, I'm sorry. They don't know how to pronounce. I don't have to speak. It's an perfect. I, not an A. It's not hard. Sorry. What? Her name is Wayne Kaladi. It's not Kalada. It's like it's. I didn't say Kalada. I did not. Yes, say you Kalada. did. There's no way I said that. Back up the tape, Weldon. Well, then, what did he say? Yes, impartial observer. Yes, Kalada. He said Kalada like Pina Kalada. <laughs> Real quickly. Arkansas also deserves credit this year because despite their track success, they're only number eight starting the season. And they didn't remember one. So they may have had this history of choking, but people weren't thinking a lot of this team when the season started. It's very unusual for number eight to win in number one. Wait, wait, wait. Well, who who came up with that rating, though? Did anyone look at their PRs? On, based on their PRs, they should have been number one in the country before the preseason. The only reason I didn't rank them number one was because of their history of choking in NCAAs. Whoever ranked them number eight, I mean, how many drinks do they have before they filed that ranking? It's absurd. And John had them in his top five. Maybe this is the time. I always wonder why you guys refer to the USTFCCA rankings instead of our own rankings. Maybe we should just start treating our rankings as the official rankings. I, I'm now, since John suspected me of cheating in the prediction contest, I'm now suspecting John of cheating in his preseason rankings because he waits <laughs> a few weeks into the season to release his preseason rankings. Because we have track meets going on. I'm, I, I'm only one man. I can't get around to it while we're in the heat of the track season. And, you know, we've got USAs and all these other meets going on. It's, it's too much. I had to rush these out before I fled, flew off to Doha. So, you know, this year John had track meets till Doha. So his preseason rankings came out on October 15th. No, no, no. It was, it was before I left. It was like middle of September, which is when we usually do them. But there's too much to go. There's too much track stuff going on in August for me to be able to do it and then none of the meets early the first two weeks of the season how like name me one meet that takes place in the first two meets of the season outside of like the cornell home meet robert harvard yale baby yale oh actually let's talk about that harvard may have made nationals or whatever but yale won the harvard yale meet this year so i think we're the winners this year you're probably the only person who holds that opinion but you know no, I, no I agree with that to me it's a disgrace that harvard who ended up 15th in the country somehow lost to yale at the beginning of the season because they didn't run all their guys or whatever but this also shows you how like the sport is unwatchable for fans like you have a long time rivalry where the dual meet is supposed to mean something and then you lose that race so you know if i get back into the game i'll dominate the dual meets and the Nationals. But sorry, Robert, you were making a point about Wayne Kaladi before I corrected you on the mispronunciation. Well, I just think she ha- had a phenomenal final three or four week races of the season. I mean, she just destroyed everybody at the conference. I mean, destroyed everybody at the regional by like 30 or 40 seconds, if not more. 57 seconds at the regional. Insane. She ran sub-19. Granted, that course is supposed to be a little short, but at altitude, it's ridiculous. No, she, only, she and actually 
only ended up winning by about 9.6 seconds, I think, at, at Nationals, which is still s- substantial. That's the biggest winning margin since 2007. It's quite a lot when you're beating the number two person in the country by that much. You know, but neither one was really in doubt. Kerr got won by about four seconds in the men's side. But I, I was so confident. I mean, so confident she was going to win the race. And I thought to myself, if this was like on a hard you know, packed surface that you would probably find like next year when we were in at Oklahoma State and not some soggy ground like here. I'm like, she would destroy everybody. I think by like more than 20 seconds. Only thing that made me nervous is she's kind of small and, you know, you're in a mud pit, would she be strong enough to, 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 to sort of go through the mud? Now, some people think if you're really light, you can actually sort of run on top of the mud. Whatever. Regardless, she ran away from it early. Uh, Monson ended up second, a, a deserved second. So I, I thought that was sort of like a just result there, you know, on the win side. And then Katie Izzo, appropriate the transfer for Arkansas, leads them to the team titles. Arkansas goes three, four. So pretty good stuff individually there. Moving to the men's side, and I don't think this has got enough play in either our recaps or on Let's Run. I feel like this guy should be like viewed as a modern-day Steve Prefontaine. How about Virginia Tech's Peter John? Help me with the pronunciation. I would say Sufer. Uh, it's Soifer, actually, but I appreciate you you trying to endeavoring to get it right, Robert. Yes, the, the misogyny comes through. I only asked for the pronunciation help on the male name, but the Virginia Tech guy. I mean, he quietly been sort of having like a Wayne Kalati type last couple weeks. I mean, he won the ACC meet. He runs twenty three forty two. Do people realize like how like we should have had more on him, John? You asked me like the night before the race, or maybe in last week's podcast. Did I have like? any sort of dark horse candidates and, and I didn't have any, but if I had been really paying attention, this would be the obvious case. I mean, 2342 at ACC's second place was year to goose. The, the guy who anchored DM Notre Dame to the DMR victory last year, 24, 21. So he won that by 39 seconds. That's a, that's a meet with like six, seven ranked teams, John. Now, admittedly those teams don't have a lot of low sticks, but that's ridiculous. And he goes out to nationals and just takes it to the Kenyans. He had a, a, you know, I wonder how big the league got at one point. I think it was, I want to say it was like close to nine seconds at halfway. Uh, I, yeah, I was really impressed because halfway through, I'm, I'm kind of thinking like, man, this mud is not easy to move in. Like he, he, I was starting to think it's possible he could drop them. I think the one thing that I was, I thought that he'd probably get caught was because there was a pack of guys in second. I think eventually one person probably would have stepped up. I think it would might have been tougher if it was just everyone strung out and they're not pushing together. But yeah, totally hats off to Peter Soifer. He just got out kicked by Connor Mance for third place, but a heroic effort. The dude's six three as well. It was just awesome to see him towering over the field and powering through the mud. Yep. He said he loves cross country more than track. And it also shows you guys and girls, we, you don't have to have a certain body type. 6'3 is huge for a distance runner. But so Chris Lenski, the first non African under 27, was also pretty darn big. So if, you, if, if you've got the, the engine and, and the desire and, and, and the mindset, you know, hats off to him. Phenomenal run there, really, for fourth. Yeah. What, and one thing I want to talk about the mud here a little bit. People, before the meet, this kind of irritates me. Every press conference, there's always people asking about the weather. And I guess I did do that in 2018, but that was because there was a freaking snowstorm in Madison. I thought, you know, it actually would be, would have an effect. But I think the way the weather affected these races was, on the men's side, getting out early was crucial. If you look at the team scores, the top three at 3K versus the top three at 10K team scores, it's almost identical. BYU got out really well. The best, I think Ed Eystone said, the best they've ever gotten out of this meet. 
NAU got out horribly. And Mike Smith, you know, he said his guys, he was like, look, they fought hard. They they won their individual battles at the end of the race. The problem was they were just started out way too far back. And it's it can be very tough to move up in these conditions. So I think that's something, you know, maybe with the next two meets being in Oklahoma State and at Florida State, we won't see it for a little while. But you just got to, I think what, what this showed to me, and, you know, this didn't it, Iowa State worked their way up the field. It's it's possible to move up, but I think it's easier if you're a very very top team going for the win. You need to get out pretty well. That's what BYU did on the women's side as well, though they did get beat. I'm not sure if I agree with that. I would like to see the, the stats back that up. I, I think that I, I really want to do some research. I just gave you stats: the top three in the men's race at 3K were the top three at 10K. So what? That's just a one-off thing. I, if I remember correctly. Uh, you know, maybe 10 years ago, we had this theory before. People had this theory. If it's muddy, I think this is a long-held belief. If it's muddy, you have to get out hard. And I thought one year Colorado came from way back in the mud. Because think about it. The mud actually makes the race longer, so you have more time to make up ground. So I'm not just going to believe this because it seems like it's true and the results of 3K. You know, I mean, a lot of races, if you score the race, you know, halfway through, it's the same as the finish. I mean, my brother's college coach at Yale used to always say, just score the race at 5K. And that's normally the case, but it's not always the case. I don't know. I, I just I, you want more evidence. I can I can accept that. If You're anyone skeptic. remembers the Colorado team from I, I would say about ten years ago when they came from behind in the mud or whatever, maybe it was you. Know, they someone who beat Wisconsin that dream team. You know that was the mud. I'd like to see analysis of that. Do they even have mid race splits? You know to see who was behind and ahead. So if anyone knows, email me Robert at Let's Run yeah, coming next week. Our recap of the two thousand four NCAA cross country championships. So, well, John, John's making fun of me for going back to 2004, but we, no, no, you want, I support this. You want more data. I can get behind that. I'm a man. I want, you know, if I'm going to reach a conclusion, I want it to be supported by the facts and you're not convinced yet. I can respect that, Robert. Yeah. But I do think that like mentally, um, for the younger runners, this is what I think would have been helpful for them, particularly in the U.S. to get out. They've been running up front in all these races. So, what happens at NCAs is when you get out in the back, you just sort of panic. You're not used to being surrounded by people. These are, you know, whatever. But when you're up front, it's just much more calming because you're used to being up front, particularly if you're a young runner. So I think for the younger people at NAU, it could particularly be damaging because you don't have the confidence to think, oh, I'm going to run through this field and, and, and get up there. But that's, again, the facts don't totally bear that out because their top guys were their, their freshmen, three of their top four. It was really Jordy Beamish, Luis Grijalva, and – Blaze Farrow, the veterans that, that didn't really get it done for the for NAU. And that I think the reason for that is they didn't get out well enough. But Farrow, I think maybe it also been banged up this year. But for whatever reason, look, here's the other thing. It is really hard to get it done on one single day, year after year. NAU had done this the last three years. They've come to NCAAs, knocked it out of the park. And they didn't have an A race in the biggest race of the year, but that's that's really hard to do. BYU did, but you look the last couple of years. Last year, BYU would have won if Clayton Young had run up to his potential, the NCAA 10K champ. Instead, he was 72nd, and they lost again. So it's it's very hard, even with five good runners or six good runners, to have five guys run great on the same day. NAU did that from 2016 to 2018. They didn't do it on Saturday. One, one thing I was thinking of in terms of you know how they lost, you know, well, one thing is, um, you know, Blaze Farrell had not been running as well all season. So, you know, he was sort of like the last pick on the team, right? I and mean, he's a 28-20 guy. So 
the fact that he was down, even though he'd been like an All-American in the past, was not that surprising. And one thing I think that could have really hurt, I do believe this in the mud, because I had my my best runner ever at Cornell, Bruce Hyde, who was a 1,500-meter runner who ran on his toes. I think the mud's very hard for them. He had won the regional. He finished one spot behind All-American, behind Ryan Hall. He got All-American. But that was the most race I was most proud of him, because he was like in the 50s and halfway and got up to 26 or 27. I can't remember, can't remember if they were, he and Hall were 26 and 27 or 27, 28. And Hall was more of a 1500 meter guy back then too. I think it's very hard for the 1500 guys to run in the mud if they're, if they're sort of run on their, on their toes more than their heels. So that would be one thing to, to analyze, you know, more in depth. But John, we talked about past NCAs. You've put up a fascinating article. I gave you a hard time for some of your work and your failure to put BYU on your podium, but it's already getting rave reviews on the message board. You've looked back at the decade from 2010 to 2019. You've and analyzed those 10 years of NCAA championships. You've come up with your programs of the decade, which would be the best overall team of the t- 10 years. Have, you even have your podium teams for those decades. And then you have your best individual teams. Like What was the best NCAA team, men? What was the best women's NCAA team? You have the upsets of the decades, all sorts of stuff. Fabulous article. If you haven't checked it out, go, so, go to letsrunrightnow.com, John. Great work there. But, John... Obviously, your, your program of the decade for the men, that wasn't a hard call, was it? No, it, it's NAU. I mean, the stats are just incredible. They've got three titles, which is more than anyone else. They've got two seconds, which is the same as Stanford. No one else has that many. And eight total podium appearances. To be on the podium, eight out of ten years. And they essentially, there was one year where it was the cross-country equivalent of tanking, I guess you would call it. It was 2015. They they redshirted Futsum Zaina Selassie. And they tried to really load up their team for the next year, and they won it all. But the the level of consistency out there under two different coaching staffs uh, is really outstanding. NAU, I think, easy pick for me is the program of the decade. John, let's put a little asterisk under those eight podium finishes. John, folks, does not believe that there should be four teams on the podium. He thinks it should be three like they do in the Olympics. But we had an NCAA coach tell us, like, look, the reason they do four is there's like four teams in the final four of every other sport. There's four teams in the college football playoff but john three of those podium finishes were fourth place finishes okay well even if you remove fourth place they still have five podiums and actually colorado would have six podiums in that play in that but uh nau would have three wins in two seconds and colorado would have two wins one first and three thirds so i'd still take nau over that but robert i was interested because usually when i write these articles you will disagree with me on at least one thing. What was the pick of mine that you disagreed with the most, whether, you know, for any of these awards? No, I liked them all. I thought that's why I thought the article, I agree with it. That's why I thought the article was fabulous. I just wish I had, had done the research myself. Um, I was really, in, in, I don't know. I just figured it like you, you did it much quicker than I would. I was like, how did he get this done in two days? Very, very good work. You got NAU one, Colorado two, Oklahoma state three and BYU four for the men. For the women, you have um Well, let's let's go behind the 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 curtain here. Robert kind of helped me with the uh the podiums. He sort of picked those for me and I signed off on them. That's that's how the sausage got made. But the majority of the article I, I wrote myself. Like ninety eight percent of it. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, you you made those podium picks and I agreed, and then women, uh New Mexico uh is that they won Two, they had five podium appearances. Oregon was the only other team to win two titles for the women. I had them second. Then Colorado third. They have one dominant title in 2018, then two other podium appearances. And then we had Providence over Georgetown because both teams have one title, but 
And both teams had three podium appearances, but Providence was first and second. Georgetown hasn't made the meet since 2015. I just couldn't believe that. When we're coming up with the fourth podium team, I, I just could not believe that Georgetown hasn't made it since 2015. Providence hasn't made it since 2017. And Providence won the meet like as late as... 2013 is when Providence won it. Well, the interesting... Georgetown, like... When did Georgetown win it? Georgetown won it in 2011. But you got to look at, like, some of that has to do with the coaching because Georgetown went from Chris Miltenberg to Mike Smith. Both of those guys left, ended up leaving. Those are two of the very best coaches in the NCAA. That's not a slander on you know Julie Cully or anything, but those are just two of the best coaching minds in the NCAA. And to have them leave your program, you know, it's probably going to drop off a little. Well, I think you are taking a slam. One thing I always say when the coaches leave, they may be leaving for a reason. Maybe this, maybe the school is not supporting track as much as well. Or also, this is a bigger one. Maybe they realize they're leaving and they don't work hard in that last year in recruiting and they don't leave the cup bare, cup full. So. We'll see. All right. That's an interesting take on it. Um, but anyways, should we make people read the article or should we read out the winners? Run of the decade, Edward Cheserick, obviously. I don't, let's not spoil everything, but you know, I, I don't know if there's anything particularly noteworthy. Well, I, 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 the one I wanted to debate, the debate was the men's team of the decade. And you basically, if you wind up, I, I maybe what we should have put this in the article to me, the way I think about this is, if you lined up all 10 NCAA men's team champions and had them race, mm. in, not in a 10-team meet, but in an actual NCAA meet. So let's have – so having 31 teams, we have 40 teams in it because we have the, the number 31 teams plus the 10 champions um, or whatever. Which team would win? And your four finalists were 2010 Oklahoma State, 2012 Oklahoma State, 2014 Colorado, and 2017 NAU. And I was really, when I looked at it, I mean, when I was looking at the track PRs of 2012 Oklahoma State, I'm like, how would that team lose? They've got a 13-15 guy at number two. They have a 13-46 guy at number three. Wow. Yeah, but they lost two guys are only 14-24 and 14-26. Yeah, so I, I felt like up front, oh, that 2000. 12 Oklahoma State team was better than 2014 Colorado. I mean, Amar Musa was only a 1356 guy. Admittedly, he was fifth in cross country for Colorado. Here's the thing, though. At a meet like that, their fifth man, who was Shane Moskowitz for 2012 Oklahoma State, which was 53rd, that's the lowest of any of those four teams by quite a bit, he just would have gotten hammered, I think, and the other teams would, would have picked up a big score at the number five. Sorry, he would have, they would have picked up a big score at number five. Yeah, and, and so that's why I ultimately thought it was the right call because when I first looked at it, this is wrong, but you go down to the fifth man. So basically Colorado, Oklahoma State's fourth guy was 24th. Colorado's fourth guy was 24th. You know, these are different years, obviously, but mm-hmm. um, 2012 and 2014 are pretty similar in, in terms of it's not like it's nine years apart. It's only two years apart. But then for the fifth man, Shane Moskovic was only 53rd, whereas Pierce Murphy of Colorado. I mean, Colorado had five All-Americans. And they had a sixth guy. Jay Curis was one spot out of All-American. So, well, the other thing is, though, NAU, in the 2018 NAU team, Mike Smith, before the meet, said that that team was even better than the 2017 team. And they didn't score quite as few points at the NCAAs, but you know, I think they had that team might have had six All-Americans on it. I, I have to look up the stats and confirm it, but they didn't run quite as well up front, but let me just run through the results here. They had number one, Tyler Day in sixth, Matt Baxter in 15th, 
Luis Grijalva in 23rd, Blaise Ferro in 26th, Peter Luong in 29th. That's five. And then Jordi Beamish. So they had six All-Americans. And I think Baxter kind of, he really went for it early and ended up fading to 15th. You know, they didn't have him and Tyler Day going 2-3 like they did in 2017. But that 2018 NAU team was one of the best. And the same thing for 2015 Colorado. I think on paper, going into the season, you would have thought they would have been better than 2014. And they ran well at NCAAs. They scored 91 points, but they lost to Syracuse, who just ran out of their minds. Yeah, you even have the upset of the decades, both individual and team. Some really good stuff there. So check out the article on Let's Run. John, got to get out of here for the holidays soon, for Thanksgiving. So let's move on. And I think it's time for our weekly Alberto Salazar segment. This was actually, you talked about my hot take for the week earlier for, for cross country. And, but I, I have a hot take here, John, you heard me say it in Terre Haute. I think we were stumbling out of Buffalo wild wings and you're like, I've got a great hot take on the Salazar thing. Make sure I remember this the next morning or whatever. Yeah. Your hot take was essentially about the testosterone experiments, Robert. You remember it? Yeah. So uh, there's a runner's world article by Sarah Lords Butler last week that I found to be fascinating. Jordan say sort of has finally broken her silence on the Salazar situation after the Mary Kane things. And I thought that her, her, his, her comment was fantastic. So anyways, I'm trying to look up the quote here. I just found it. So, you know, one of the big things about Salazar is that's very unsatisfying to me is he's been banned without actually doping any athletes. Or, you know, yes, he doped Magnus. I don't consider Magnus an athlete. WADA can consider him whatever they want. So, you know, but when I've talked to, to people about this, including friends like Chris Lear, running with the Buffalo's author, he's like, you know, but he doped people, but he doped his sons. He did that, and you too, John. He did it. He did, it, did a testosterone experiment on his sons. I'm like, but he says that was to see if they were sabotaged. He's basically figuring out if his own people can be sabotaged. And like Chris Lear's like, I don't believe that at all. It's just, and Adam Goucher, I think, said the same thing. That's just totally unbelievable. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't think you guys realize how crazy Salazar is. He's absolutely crazy. So to me, uh, only knowing Salazar a little bit, I'm like, the guy's insane. So maybe he would do something that stupid or that crazy. You know, who would dope their own sons? Well, only a mad scientist. And that's kind of what I, what, what Jordan Hussey's quote got me to realize, just solidify, you know, Here's what Sarah Ward Bell asked her about, is he obsessed with weight? And here's Jordan Hesse's answer. Alberta, if you ask me, is he obsessed about weight? Yes, but he's obsessed about everything. He wanted to cut my hair to reduce drag. He wanted me to wear a wetsuit in the Boston Marathon. It's just every little detail is covered, and weight happens to be one of those things. And I thought that quote that quote really made it hit home to me. I'm like, yes, this is kind of what I've been trying to say, and I just couldn't come up with it perfectly. This guy's crazy. He's obsessed about everything. So if there's anyone in the world that actually might have been doing that experiment for legitimate reasons, I think it might have been Alberto. Now, I'm not going to go out and buy Nike shoes to support Alberto. I think he's treated people a, a lot, you know, very poorly. I don't know. I, I would never want to be a successful coach that treated people like shit. So I, I don't think that justify then just necessarily justify the means. But I, my other hot take is, what happens here if he gets off in this appeal? It's going to be fascinating. Are people going to eat their word? You know, he he will be vindicated. He potentially could be vindicated in terms of the doping violations. And then all we have is okay, he treated women poorly. You know that that's not all we have. But maybe he doesn't not allowed to coach women anymore. He only coaches Rop or whatever. 
be kind of interesting though. Well, all right, here, here's your your argument, Robert. So you're essentially saying that because he believed he could have legitimately believed he was just trying to prevent his athletes from being sabotaged. Most people are saying no, this he's he's trying to see how much uh, he could rub on his son's triggered or positive test, and he's trying to microdose his athletes. And I think I agree. The more that comes out, and the more we see how obsessive he was, I think you might be right that yes, he actually was just you know that paranoid about his athletes being sabotaged. That's a fair point. I think the issue with that line of reasoning is you're saying, oh, it's okay because he was crazy. It's like we don't let people who are obsessed with robbing liquor stores just rob liquor stores. Like just because he in his mind justified it to himself doesn't mean that he wasn't supposed to do this. Like you're still supposed to have an internal governor in your mind telling you, no, I can't perform an experiment by doling out testosterone that I have a prescription for and testing it on my sons. I'm not, I shouldn't, if you're a coach, you should not be experimenting with testosterone period. And I don't think you're saying the ends don't justify the means. I'm saying the means don't justify the ends. Okay. But are you upset about him doing this experiment? Why? Because you shouldn't be playing around with testosterone. You shouldn't be giving it to anyone else. Are you worried about his son's health? No. Or are you worried that he's doping people? I'm just saying you shouldn't be – you should not be playing around with testosterone. You shouldn't be giving it to other people. Alberto Salazar has no qualms about doling out prescription medications or all who knows what kind of substances to people who don't need them. Who knows how Alberto acquired them? I just think, look, you, he played with fire and he got caught. He played with testosterone and he got burned. Yeah, I mean, when I talked to him, you know, he, he said he needed the testosterone for some family stuff. And now there's a lot of men that are on, you know, in their 50s and 60s who are on T supplements. No, I'm, not, I'm not saying he didn't have a medical justification for using it for his own personal use, but. It's like the biggest, most powerful drug in all of sport. And he's he's conveniently carrying it around and giving the massage, masseuse the night off. So we'll never know what happened there. Yeah. All right. That's our also about a segment of the week. Let's hit a couple things rapid fire. You know, maybe you guys are in en route to uh, your relative's house or your in-laws for Thanksgiving or you're coming back or you're getting ready for a turkey trot. So we got the World Athlete of the Year handing out by World Athletics. They had that gala last week in Monaco. The winners, Elliot Kipchoge for the men, Dalila Muhammad for the women. Are we okay with Elliot Kipchoge winning this when he ran two races and, well, he ran one race and one exhibition? And that was it. Are you okay with him winning over Carsten Warholm, who was undefeated and just otherworldly all year? Not really. I wanted Warholm to win the race. I feel like he was undefeated and on the circuit all year. I, this guy was doing an exhibition for himself. And I mean, the sub two hour is so, you know, the mainstream press was good. So I see why they, they sort of catered to that and gave him the award, but I, I don't agree with it. Um, I mean, yes, He's two minutes better than Bikile, but he also has shoes that are better. So maybe he's one minute better than Bikile. I mean, maybe he ran the equivalent of a world record, but I don't think it was some monumental leap forward. He won the award the year before. I guess you're supposed to treat each year individually, but I, I just think that, I don't know. Like if you, if, if Tom Brady goes and this isn't a good analogy, skips the Super Bowl to do a, a passing exhibition, you know, and hits a hundred passes in a row, I'm not giving him the NFL player of the year award. So I wasn't happy about that. Um, for Muhammad, Versus Coast Guy. Well, I'm glad they did that. If they're going to give one to a marathoner, I feel like the other one needs. We need to support track and field. So I don't know. Yes, Coast Guys was more amazing, but again, we don't know how much the shoes are. We just don't know. Is this better? In an absolute sense, than Paul Radcliffe's world record. 
I'm not convinced that it is. So I think Muhammad deserves it. Plus, two world records is better than one world record. Well, the thing is, though, the more I think about it with Kozgai, initially I was in the Muhammad camp. Because, look, she broke the world record in the world championship final. But Muhammad lost two races. And Bridget Kozgai didn't lose any races. She had the marathon world record. Then she also won the biggest marathon of the year, or the best marathon of the year in London. And then she didn't get a world record for this race, but she ran 64-28 at the Great North Run, the half marathon, that's significantly faster than anyone's ever run a half marathon. I know it's point to point, so it's you know there's hill, you know some downhills there, but that to me is like basically a world record in and of itself. She had a phenomenal year. There's no doubt about it. But again, we don't know how much of this is the shoes and how much of this is her. So and yes, Muhammad lost two races. So what? She races a lot more often. Did she? How much did she really race? I don't think she raced that much more often. Bridget Koskai has one race, two race, three race, four race, five race, six race, seven races. I'll look up to Lila Muhammad right now. I'm not counting prelims. I'm just counting finals. She had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, 400 hurdles races. So the same amount. She had. She also had a 200 and three 400s that she won. And so, all right, she had 11 races total plus a four by four. So a few more, but I don't think it was significantly more, especially when you consider Cosguy as a road racer. Again, I just, with the shoes, I think Radcliffe, let's imagine she doesn't have the marathon world record. Let's imagine who doesn't have the marathon world record. Bridget Cosguy doesn't set the marathon world record. You just strip, I mean, that's her defining achievement. You just can't take it away from her because you don't like it. Well, I just think that she's not... I think he was done because of the shoes. So I think Muhammad had Muhammad two. World so what do you say it was worth? What do you think it was worth? Like a two sixteen? Yes, maybe, maybe, maybe slower. Honestly, it's women's. I mean, if it's two minutes for the men, it's going to be three minutes for a woman. So I don't know. I'm just saying, what if you're Bridget Cosguy? She's like, man, I didn't get athlete of the year. And again, we're also acting like this thing means a lot. I mean, someone pointed this out on Twitter. Remember when Bolt just won it every year, even though he didn't really have that great a year? Like this, this happened in the early 2010s. He would just win it every single year, even though there were clearly people who deserved it more. They should have experts pick this award like they do the Heisman Trophy. It should not be some fan vote. If you're Bridget Cosguy, what could she possibly have done to win this award? Nothing really, except maybe set the legitimate like, half marathon. You're asking her to run like 213 or 212. Which, well, I think she deserves it more than Co- more than more than Kipchoge. I agree. Although I guess Kipchoge ran, didn't he? What he ran in London? Two oh two oh two thirty seven, which is the number. But again, we don't know how much of it is the shoes. Screw Nike. Screw the shoes. I gotta admit though, the, the, I don't know what kind of shoe it was. It was cool looking. They had a cool looking Nike shoe at the running store. It wasn't the Vaporfly, I mean, I don't know. Also, uh, USATF handed out the Jesse Owens Award, which uh, is the, the male and female athletes of the year. Muhammad, no surprise, won for the women. I don't think there's any argument against that. Donovan Brazier won for the men. Uh, and I think that's, that's interesting. You could come up with a case for Christian Coleman or a case for Noah Lyles. I think I'm okay with Brazier winning, though. He broke the American record and the world championship record in the final. And then I looked at his results all year, and I was like, well, I don't think he was quite as dominant on the Diamond League circuit, but he only lost one Diamond League. Now, he only ran three, but he was third in Doha, and then he ran 143 and one in Rome. He won 142.7, won the Diamond League final in Zurich, and then he won the World Champs. He also ran 
144 indoors. He did get beat in that race, but that's a historically fast time. So Lyles wasn't undefeated in the 200 outdoors, and Coleman wasn't undefeated in the 100. They they both had losses in those events as well. So I think I think Donovan Brazier, I think it's fair to say he, he won that, but if you put Lyles or... Uh, or Coleman, I wouldn't have had a problem with those either. No, I think he deserved it because he got American record and the championship record, and, and Coleman and, and Lyles didn't either. So fantastic year for Donovan Brazier. I mean, really amazing. Now, Robert, I know that it seems like the season might be over now. There's no more riding until, you know, we have a few turkey trots, NCAA cross country's over, track isn't coming back till the new year. But we actually do have a pretty interesting race this weekend. The Valencia Marathon. Have you seen the fields for this thing, Robert? No, I have not. They're world marathon major quality, or in some cases better than a world marathon, I would say. World marathon major. So they have, as of this writing, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Eleven guys at 206 flat or faster entered. My God. Yeah. Now, one of them's Guy Adola, and the race director told me, you know, he may not end up running. They're not totally sure. You know, he's the guy who ran the debut record in, in Berlin in 2017 and then hasn't really done anything since. They've got Hipasa Nagasa, 203.40, Lil Gabra Selassie, 204.02, Sergei Kabede, he might be kind of washed. Well, he's not totally washed up, but he's not in his prime. He's at 204. But then Emmanuel Sina, the guy who won Buenos Aires last year. Um, and then you've got a battle for the European record between Mike. Keegan Osbelin of Turkey, 205.27, and Sandre Mohn of Norway, 205.48. So that's good. And then that's just the men's side. On the women's side, we've got Vivian Chariot, last year's London Marathon champion, Rosa Derege, former Dubai Marathon champion, and Bohan Dababa. She's a, she's won World Marathon majors as well. I think she won Tokyo, was it last year? I don't know. She, she's All three of them are under... 220 so that's going to be really exciting race and uh it's a fast course as well so that's that's on sunday morning and i do believe that i was told there was streaming online this, this is amazing we i'm gonna to have to work over the thanksgiving holiday john i'm not gonna make you do it unlike sergey brand I, I i maybe i should write an article better than a major again this talks to me like how i know people want to run fast maybe it's in their contract or something but how does new york not get a few more people there's more than just a marathon there is a 10K this weekend. Joshua Cheptegei is running it, and he wants the world record. The world record is 26.44. Leonard Patrick Coman, Joshua Cheptegei, has run 26.49, I think, on the roads. This isn't even a hot take. Give him the world record now. He'll easily get that. Valencia, I mean, first of all, I don't know how they design these courses. I know it's they're certified, but it feels like the times are so fast there in every race they ever have in Valencia. It's like, is the course short? The, Valencia on the road is like Stanford on the track. It's like people run way faster there than they do anywhere else. So it, it's pretty amazing. But with the vape, with the new shoes, you get, I mean, again, with, hey, he's incredible. But again, it's not going to mean that much to me when he gets the world record there. Yeah, he's actually sorry. He's run twenty seven sixteen on the roads. But I'm, I don't know. It, I remember they had the world half marathon champs were there last year, and just the course looked amazing and the finish with all the water in that museum. Like we need to go on a let's run road trip to Valencia at some point and watch some of this stuff. Right, and we're gonna put the world marathon, the next world marathon major in some Chinese city that nobody cares about. And yet this place, Valencia, people, we love you. You do an amazing job. It's a beautiful city. I feel like I should move to Valencia. Maybe I can. I could do let's run remotely. I don't really speak Spanish very well. I mean, I speak it okay, but um, anyways, 
So, yeah, that's... Uh, I'm trying to think here. All right, now we need this. two of the ten coldest cities. This thing, you teased this was one of your favorite threads of the week, Robert. Explain yourself. Before we leave, I want to talk about my favorite message board threads of the week. Um, there was quite a few I loved. I mean, how would a high school all-star team do at NCAs? And I've approached that subject by looking at how did the five best true freshman Americans do at NCAs on the women's side and men's side. So you can check that out in the week that was. I think it was sixth on the women's side and ninth on the men's side. I doubt anyone can name two of the ten coldest cities in the world. The Weldon really loved that one, John. I mean, I did read it. It was fascinating. Like, there's some there's some cities where like the average hot temperature is below zero. Wait, wait, wait. Was was Vladivostok up there? That's one of my guesses. It was a bunch of cities I'd never really heard of. One of them was Fairbanks, Alaska, but most of them, yes, were like sort of Russian type cities. Um, is it harder to succeed in the business world being a distance runner because you have the appearance of a skinny, weak person? This was fascinating to me. I love this thread. Like, they're like, if you work in a technical job, no, but they're kind of like, if you work in consulting, it's sort of like who yells the loudest and is viewed as like the most powerful when you're in these like group meetings. So, kind of interesting. And the Walton started thread, Mayor Pete, only in America. Mayor Pete, who's one of, I think he's now second in the presidential election for the Democrats, he only received 8,500 votes in his last election. Now he might be potentially the president. Wait, he's he's number two? He's that popular? Two or three. Elizabeth Warren's fallen down. I think it's I, I still can't believe that Joe Biden. Uh, folks, you want my hot take? Joe Biden will not be the president of the United States. There's no way. I, I, I said this. Uh, like The Democrats, to me, always nominate like the person that they should not nominate. Like, I'm like, any Democrat would beat, Hillary, would beat Donald Trump four years ago, except for Hillary Clinton. I'm like, they nominated the one person they shouldn't do. Same thing with Joe Biden. He's like the last person. They should not. Be. Oh my God! Do we do we even continue the the podcast in 2020? I cut, when this election gets started, there's going to be hot takes and toxicity flying left and right. I don't Wait, even man, know. It's not toxicity. It's just like why would you nominate some guy who's basically senile, is a plagiarist, and I mean you're supposed to be the party of diversity and, and this guy sounds a lot like our current president, senile plagiarist. I mean, I guess Donald Trump's not a plagiarist, but. I didn't say that Donald Trump was better than him. I'm just saying, like, it, it would be a layup if you nominated somebody competent and not like someone like Joe Biden. I, I disagree. I don't think people thought – look, I think you're underestimating this, not to totally dive into politics. I don't think any U.S. – I don't think any Democratic candidate is a layup against Trump. I just don't think that's true. Yeah. Well, I think it would have been four years ago if they'd not done Hillary. Anyways – those are my favorite message board threads of the week. My favorite one actually ended up being the high school one, and that's why I wrote about it in the week that was. Yeah, I like that little take you had on that, Robert. That's good Good analysis. Check out the week that was for some Thanksgiving reading. But before we go, John, one thing we talked about to say, but I didn't bring this up at the time. I, I was really stunned by So last week it came out that Paul Radcliffe is going to be her coaching advisor. And then the Athletics Illustrated, the Canadian website, had some updates on that where they spoke to Radcliffe. And she sort of clarified what that meant. She's like, and I was shocked by this quote. I'm happy to help Jordan out as well as I can. It's not an official coaching role since I am not actually qualified to coach. What? Why wouldn't she be actually qualified to coach? Since I'm not actually qualified to coach, but primarily, I also don't have the time to travel full-time as a coach when my kids are still young and my priority. So I understand why she doesn't want to be, you know, like going out to do camp and et cetera. But what do you mean she's not qualified to coach? It's not like you need a coaching credential. I know. I thought about that. I'm like, all right, to be an NCAA coach, I get that. But like, if I, if I'm an elite marathon and I just want Robert, to, like, do you? I, oh, I guess you probably have a coaching credential from back in the day or something. Maybe I'm exposing you here. But 
No, I, I, I finally did the USATF level one coaching, like my eighth years to put it on my resume. But like, you can be coached by anyone you want to. Ryan Hall was coached by God for a few years. Like, it doesn't matter. You can, you, you don't need to have some credential. I think two fifteen marathon PR is any, you know, just that. That's a that gets you in the door to coach anyone. John, now before we leave, I keep saying before we leave, but we will be leaving shortly. As a Brit, I mean, do you celebrate Thanksgiving? Because Thanksgiving kind of represents like us coming to America. And then taking your prize land away from you. No, that's taking <laughs> represents the, the Brits coming to America and taking the land away from the Native Americans. That's what Thanksgiving's about. The Fourth of July is the cel- the celebration you would be that would be questionable for me to celebrate. But you're forgetting, Robert. I'm a dual passport wielding American Brit. I have a British passport. I have an American passport. I have an American mother and a British father. And so when I was growing up. Even in England, we celebrated all the American holidays. We always had, always had Thanksgiving, Turkey. We didn't watch football because it wasn't on. But yeah, I, I love Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is one of my favorite holidays now because the food is amazing. You got football all day. Unfortunately, we've got you know a t- the, just the annual sh- you know shit bowl you know shit matchup of the. Lions, who you know, the early game on Thanksgiving, Lions-Bears, it's going to be terrible. But actually, let's bring this up right now. We've got Cowboys-Bills, second straight game against an AFC's opponent. And I was kind of curious. We didn't really mention this at all. The New England Patriots, 13. Dallas Cowboys, 9. The game of the week last year. What, I mean, what do you, have to, you guys have to say for yourselves? Holy shit. I'm back. I just decided to put back on the headphones. I'm like, I think I can rejoin the podcast. What are they talking about? I heard Cowboys. I'm like, oh, have they talked about this? Has John apologized yet? Cheap victory. Cheap victory. Everyone's criticizing my boy, Jason Garrett, for not going for it there for the touchdown. The win percentage, the biggest difference in win percentage in that game was the blown tripping call by the ref. Our win percentage went from 21% to 11% with that one call. Yeah, that was a bogus call. I, I accept that. But he, here's the other thing. You're just saying, you're going by strict percentages. Here's what you need to factor in, game circumstances. Yes, it was fourth and seven when Cowboys kicked the field goal, but that was the closest they'd been to the end zone all day. They had scored no touchdowns. They needed a touchdown one way or another, either to take it to overtime or to win the game. That, to me, was the best opportunity that you had for a touchdown because our de- the Patriots' defense, the secondary, was just totally locked them down. Stephon Gilmore had another amazing game, just locked down Amari Cooper. He should be defensive player of the year. I don't know. I, I just think that that was the closest they were going to come for t- to a touchdown. They needed a touchdown to win. So I would have gone for it there. But yeah, c- congrats to the Patriots. 10-1. and one, Still, the, I mean, People are freaking out about the Ravens, and rightfully so. They, they housed the Patriots when they played them. They're playing really well. But the Patriots still have the best record in the AFC, and right now the Super Bowl. The road to the Super Bowl goes through Foxborough until uh, things until proven otherwise. Yeah, I think my take on the game was if I hadn't had the fifty dollars on the Cowboys with the spread open, I rated he didn't go for it. But um, I, I don't know. I felt like the Patriots deserved to win that game. You blocked a punt, we did not. We threw an interception, you did not. And the yardage is basically even. I don't even know how it was even a four point game. People forget you also missed an extra field goal. Both teams missed a field goal. But I think if we score that touchdown with six, we, you missed two, we missed one. If the Cowboys score that touchdown there with what, six minutes left, I think Tom Brady marches down the field. Now, your kicker may have missed another one, but you probably win the game by three points. But the tripping calls were BS. It's still proof, though. This is America's team. The ratings are in for the game. It's like the highest rated NFL game in ages. 
I just think they're on that show. Patriots were in it too. You're saying like, oh, it's only because of the Cowboys. Not every Cowboys game is number one in the country. It's because they were playing the Patriots. This is what's wrong with America. The, why Why are the Cowboys popular? They haven't won anything since 1996, I think. This is embarrassing. Well, it's because in England, like, look, when you grow up in England, the Dallas Cowboys, like when you think of football, it's just like Dallas Cowboys, baseball, New York Yankees. That's just sort of the team that's associated with that sport in, you know, internationally. Same with like soccer, Manchester United. It's just doesn't really matter what they've done recently. They just have their brand at this point. Well, John, I need to get on the road soon. But I realized we almost forgot. We got to tell the Terre Haute story. People on Twitter are demanding it. They've seen it. David Monty put a tweet out. So we're in Terre Haute the night before the race. We're at a, the famous restaurant there, slash pub. John, give a shout out to the name of the place. I forgot the name. And Mogas. It's a good spot for a hang. Yep. So we're hanging out there. John, we're at our table by ourselves. And then John hands over to a table with uh, Ray Flynn, the agent is there, and, and uh, David Monty of the New York Roadrunners Race Results Weekly. And, um, John's standing at the table and a young lady comes over and is like, Oh my gosh, are, are you Jonathan Gold? She's like, he's like, yes. She's like, Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to meet you. I'm such a fan of your work. Like, it's amazing work. Like it's just the way you analyze everything. It's just so well done. And then the podcast, I'm a big fan of the way you talk on there. And John, what else am I missing? What other attributes? Those were the main, yeah, that you hate it. Most of it. I see John's actually, you know, fairly pale. He's, he's blushing a little bit right now, just the same way. Like and I kind of came over in the middle of this, or I was at the table, and actually I kind of hear it. I'm like, "What's going on over there?" And it was so effusive. Like Ray Flynn, the agent, thought that this wasn't real. He's like, "This is a joke, right? Is someone paying her to come over here? Like someone set this up, right?" And you know, and just kept going on and on and on. And then I think they posed for a picture, right, John? Yeah, yeah. No, it's now her profile picture on Twitter. Shout out to Liz. It was nice meeting you and all your friends. We talked about. Wisconsin running and the grind fest, which is this big annual tempo run they have in an indoor track. And I think it's in December. I said that I give them a shout out on the podcast and we don't really have a lot of running content in December. So that's probably, you know, maybe we'll check out the results or whatever. We may need to fly John out to the grind fest, but um, so she left and then, you know, that was that. And then Mick Byrne, the Wisconsin coach came back over and really sort of called John out. And he said, John, have you asked her out? Do you have her number yet? So he had apparently told her that it was Jonathan Galt's and told her to come over. And, you know, John got, I didn't know, I didn't know Weldon as an employee what to do, what was proper. I didn't know if I should force John or try to encourage him or stay back. It was well, kind of you, awkward. You didn't need to because Ray and Matt Sonnenfeld and Chris Lotzberg were all encouraged. I mean, everyone was like, oh, you have to go talk to that, talk to her. So it was crazy. A couple things, guys. Sorry. First of all, I, I paid this young woman. I'm sorry, John. I paid her. <laughs> You guys ask, you never checked in. <laughs> Paid her to say some nice things about you. I knew she's a big track fan, was in town. So just that's number one. Number two, even if someone likes your work, it doesn't mean necessarily they want to date you. So I don't know where you guys are taking that route. So well, Mick, just Mick Byrne told us. Okay, interesting. Mick from an older generation. Mick Coaster. Oh, cool. No, it's cool that John's work's appreciated. I think also this was pre-race and then – she saw what happened and John didn't have BYU in his top four. So I'm sure she doesn't think that highly of him. I've been exposed as the fraud that I am. You probably now want to go talk to Robert and say how great his work is because Robert number seven in the prediction contest. So Weldon, I will appreciate Weldon. Weldon didn't absolutely forbid me from putting her picture up on Twitter when David Monty tweeted about the episode, but um, Weldon's very proper. 
but she put a, the picture out there herself. Hey, shows we got women listeners on Let's Run visitors as well. We obviously have a lot, but sort of the stereotype is that it's an all male misogynistic site. So hey, this is this is good for our image, right? I want to give a shout out to one of the guys she was with. He knew everything about Wisconsin running. It was amazing. But one thing, John, this is the problem, folks. I'm a married man, and I love my wife dearly. But there's no such thing as perfection in a human being. There was – she is not – she hates Tom Brady. And she also hates the Dallas Cowboys. But I actually like the fact that she was willing to say that to us. So she was not just willing to just praise us and say how great Tom Brady was or the Dallas Cowboys. I think, I think she's a Packers fan, right, John? Yeah. Nobody's perfect, Robert. Well – so I'm seventh. I'm only six spots off. I'm perfect. <laughs> All right, guys. I want to say what I'm thankful for. I'm wearing my Tikrit running club shirt. This is sent to me from a U.S. Army veteran, Russell Stewart, I think 11 years ago. Shout out to the U.S. Army. I'm thankful for uh, NCAA cross country. That meet never disappoints. And uh, thankful for my family. Happy to see him this weekend and uh, spend some time watching football and soccer and eating lots of my mom's great cooking. I'm thankful for you guys. I hope you guys did a good job in podcast without me, but I know you can because I've not been on one before. And I'm thankful for the city of New York. Thank you for a great year and a half. I will share my greatest and worst things about New York. Maybe next week's podcast. Yeah, we'll need some content then. All right. Well, good luck, everyone, in your turkey trots. Uh, and remember, gobble, gobble, motherfuckers.